Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Dean Briggs. Dean, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give the short version. Uh, just in the last 10 years, I've spent a number of years working closely with a man named Lou Engel in a ministry called The Call, which hosted large stadium gatherings to call young people in particular to a day of fasting and prayer for revival in America and, and across the nations of the earth. Uh, in uh, 2017, uh, I felt like the Lord was nudging me. And in 2018, I stepped down from that. Uh, my life has been touched uh, over decades by specific dreams from the Lord that have guided me. I had a dream uh, about working with Mike Bickle. I live here in Kansas City and uh, 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 connected at IHOP and have been working with Mike and the senior leadership for the last three plus years now. And, uh, and then the way we connected was just recently, we were all together with the uh, Tacoon America Network and their uh, conference, the Messianic uh, Jewish community, the Messianic believers there uh, in just outside of Baltimore. And uh, we connected Daphne, Andrew and I just really hit it off and so, uh, so here we are. Uh, for people that listen to this conversation, uh, which is going to be very interesting, we're not exactly sure where we're going to go with it, but um, they may be more interested in some of the other stuff that you've put out there. I know you've got books that you've written. Where can people find those? Yeah, the easiest place is really um, just to go to Amazon. I, I have fiction. If people are interested in fiction, they need to search for my pen name. I have a pseudonym for fiction which is D. Barkley Briggs. But all my nonfiction, my Bible teaching and inspirational stuff is under Dean Briggs. So Amazon, go search for Dean Briggs. Um, and then, of course, if that's confusing at all, you can just go to deanbriggs.com. Okay, and I'll find some of those links. I'll put them in the description. So for people wanting to go check them out, they should be there ready yeah. for you to go to. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that is backslash D. Barkley Briggs. So, yeah. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. So, Dean, you have been with Lou Engel. You've been with Mike Bickle. Very, very briefly, can you just talk to us about what led you there, how that was formation in your life, sure. and then I want to um, bring up one of your books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. I, you know, the Lord uh, has strange ways of hinting at our life far uh, long before we really know how to interpret those hints. But then looking back, you see there's a continuity to the story God tells through our lives that um, you didn't fully appreciate. Uh, so I, I can look back and see these different milestones in my life where the Lord was preparing either a heart for prayer, a theology of, of uh, a more aggressive kind of militant style of prayer that I believe is really lacking in the church today. You know, it's interesting when we talk about the church, 
we will have to use qualifiers. We'll say, well, where do you go to church? I go here, here, here. Oh, tell me about them. Well, they're a praying church or they're a worshiping church or they're a mission church. And really what we are meant to be, the, 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 the language of Paul and Jesus using that root word ecclesia, we shouldn't have to give those qualifiers. No. The, the, the church should be a praying church, a worshiping church, a warring church, a missional church. But we have so many other more domesticated, tamed versions of mm. church that that becomes the exception to the rule if you are a worshiping or warring or missional church and you really want people to know we aren't like other churches. We do this. Well, all of those are part of our job description. So I've just uh, uh, I've been a student of the word all my life. I pastored for 11 years. Uh, I taught on prayer. I had a devotional prayer life, but I didn't really understand. Prayer to me was you give the E.M. Bounds book to the, 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 the women, and they formed the intercession group, and you had 10 faithful women intercessors, and that was how you had a prayer ministry at your church. And so, you know, the Lord really had to expose my own limitations that my devotional prayer life uh, uh, wasn't enough. There needed to be a culture of prayer. So I've given myself to that and ended up intersecting with some major prayer leaders like Lou and Mike that just helped make sense of my own journey with the Lord. Wow. Well, I, how I came to personally think, oh, we must have Dean, apart from the fact you blew me away when I heard you speak and all the rest of it. But I think it was before then I walked past your book table and there was a book on it and it was called Long Hairs Rising. And sometimes yeah. the title is enough. You, you don't even need to read what's inside. And I saw this book and I said to Andrew, we have to have him come and speak. Now, we're, we're speaking at the minute in a, right in the moment where there is so much evil with Afghanistan. I mean, right at the minute, literally, we are working to get people out. It's just absolute chaos. So we're coming to you at this time, in that moment in time, but yeah. also got this book in my hand, Long Hair yeah. Rising. So. Yeah. Is there any link in this? What, what, what's it all about? Can you take us on a bit of a journey? Sure, yeah. I, I think it is an interesting, because, you know, we've been planning this conversation for a couple of months. Mm. And it just so happens that our schedules lined up to be able to host this conversation, you guys hosting it and me participating in it, right when the entire Afghanistan crisis breaks loose. And, you know, I'm not going to read between the lines too much, but I do think there's something, there's a conversation to be had here about what is God doing in the earth? How is he doing it? Who is he doing it with? And, and how are we to respond to nations in upheaval? Psalm 2 is, uh, is the chapter of the Bible that most clearly and broadly articulates the days we live in. It's been true of every day and every age, but there is an escalating conflict where the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and his anointed, and they conspire together to cast off the, 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 the law of God, the ways of God, and God has a response. I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy hill. The warning is, kiss that son, kiss the son, lest he be angry. There is a 
the undisciplined, lawless, antichrist agenda in the earth, of which there are many expressions, many false ideologies, thought systems, world religions that aren't against Buddha. They aren't against Muhammad. They aren't against uh, uh, any number of other religious leaders, historic religious figures. What they are against is the Christ. They, there is a zero tolerance for the, the, the presence of Yahweh and his son, Yeshua, in the land. And uh, that's escalating, and the nations are in turmoil, and they're reacting against that. And now we have a nation like Afghanistan absolutely in crisis, believers on the ground in crisis, men, women, and children being threatened. And it raises questions. I'm a father. I'm a father of eight. I know, Daphne, you're sitting there with your son and your daughter is deeply involved in, in global missions and, and uh, other uh, things. I don't know if I'm at, even at liberty to say. I don't know how secretive it is. But you guys have your hands deeply involved in hot spots around the earth. And I was touched listening to you when you shared the, you have to settle the question of death early, early on. I think this is a question that is actually in front of the materialist, comfortable, self-satisfied Western church like never before. We are so impressed with ourselves. We have so much to lose, if you will, that we haven't really settled uh, who, whose are we? My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Mm. But until we actually cross that line from protecting our life to being willing to be a seed laid in the ground for a fruitful harvest to come, we can't actually move into the dimensions of resurrection life that we talk about in purely spiritual terms, but they're meant to have geopolitical impact. They're meant to have economic impact. They're meant to have uh, you know, force and power behind them in material ways. Resurrection life is something we're meant to live in now, but we can't live there when I'm afraid of losing my life or when I'm afraid of my kids losing theirs. There, there, there's, there's actually a, a phrase I just saw. It's so powerful. Uh, uh, it's essentially two moms talking and they're, one is expressing the fear of the times we live in and the toll that will take on their kids. And the answer was, don't ever apologize. Don't ever be sorry for raising dragon slayers in a day and age when dragons really exist. There is, there's actually a privilege that our children walk in the very fact that they are alive. If we trust God's sovereignty and history, we have to say, he has prepared a grace, an anointing, and a power for them that's beyond any other. Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace does abound that much more. There are actually dragon slayers in this generation. We, we're older children of a loving father. We're meant to be part of that, but how we treat our children has to reflect that. We're all at the Lord's disposal. Some will triumph in glory and power. And some will lay down their lives, and all of it is advancing the kingdom, and there is grace for that. And we have to settle the question of death now, 
or we will always be afraid to be strong and do exploits. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, the journey of that has been to keep an eternal perspective. Yes. I suppose an earthly perspective um, to such an extent that, and this is going to sound like a crazy statement, and I don't mean it the full extent of what I'm going to say, but it sets a bar that almost you win the prize if you end up being martyr for Jesus. You know, you you you, you get the. I mean, you have just made it, as it were, as opposed to well, I'm just going to have a a normal death sort of thing, right. that, which, like I say, is maybe taken to extreme, maybe it isn't. But um, you read Revelation and, and you see that those whose, blood, whose robes are stained with blood and the glory and the honour of that moment. So that's my own personal journey of, of, of accepting it for me and for my children. I think you've actually what? said that for parents to raise their kids for the earth that we're on now for this time is a very selfish thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I know. I see, Daphne, in your own message and the way you've lived your life and the the rare gold in your son and daughter, how they've lived theirs and, and all of you together. I know you've already settled that question, but part of what I think people need to connect the dots is that kind of treasure and position and willingness and authority that you have is because you faced the question and answered it. You aren't trying to answer it. You did answer it. And therefore, there are certain options that are closed to you and certain options that are open to you that a person who is still wrestling with that question doesn't know what to do or how to, there, there's a hesitation. There's a, there's a grasping for clarity because clarity is lacking at the most fundamental level. It's, it's, it's actually in light of the Afghanistan crisis, you know, it, and it, listen, it's easy for us to sit here. You guys are sitting in a room and I'm sitting in a room and we're talking about people laying their lives on the line. And yet that's, that's not only happening in those nations. We see this is becoming a, 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 a challenge in nations that we wouldn't have thought it would ever be a challenge in. Hmm. The rise of radical Islam, the rise of false ideologies, the rise of totalitarian uh, forms of government. You know, Hitler was the same guy in 1933 as he was in 1939. He was the, sa the same beast in 33 as he was in 39, but it took a few years to be clear on that. And we are seeing in the nations of the earth that kind of beastly, authority starting to stretch itself over historical, uh, you know, democracies and, and free societies, we're all facing these questions. And, and in, in that sense, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew, in that sense, I think we have to take that word martyr back. Mm. You know, we're, yeah. we're talking about Afghanistan and, and we're in a hotbed of the earth where uh, radical Islamists use that word one way, and most of the way the world now thinks of the word martyr is according to their radical agenda. In other words, a martyr is someone who is willing to take another person's life to force compliance with in submission to their God. Mm. 
That's not martyrdom. The, the, the believers in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, we own that word, and it is 180% in the opposite direction, 180 degrees. It's someone who is willing to give their life for the sake of others and for the sake of what they believe in, not to take another person's life to force compliance. Yeah. yeah. One of the t- when we talk about some of these issues, uh, especially in the West and in places like America, uh, sometimes people will say to us, yeah, I believe this is coming. Persecution, all this kind of stuff. It's coming. It's not now. Uh, it is some time away. Uh, we don't need to really worry about it too much now. Or, you know, you, you can raise concerns about this current situation we're going through now uh, that you raised. And they'll say, well, okay, look, this is a bit different. This is for everyone's good. There's health issues. And so therefore, kind of everything is justified at this point, the way things are going. Could you just speak to that and why actually we should be massively concerned about the direction we're going in, even though there is a health situation? Well, yeah, I, without getting into the politics and different perspectives on the what's really behind COVID, is it a purely natural phenomenon and people need to, you know, line up with the current narrative in terms of treatment, vaccines? Is there an agenda behind it? Is there not an agenda? Uh, you know, we could nuance that. And part of the challenge is the, the, the governments of the earth have increasingly lost the trust of the people to believe uh, the narrative that is being described. Uh, and I think there's legitimate cause for that loss of trust. They've not proven themselves trustworthy. And so, but, but setting that aside, we know that Psalm 2 narrative is going to increasingly define the end of the age. And it's part of why I mentioned Hitler. I'm not trying to compare COVID to Nazi Germany, But there is a progression that was actually fairly rapid in uh, uh, Nazi Germany between 33 and 39, six short years, the same man, the same ideology, the same demonized personality who was lauded by the church and the champion of the people and then became clearly a force of unmitigated evil in the earth. And why wasn't he recognized before? What discernment was lacking? What courage was lacking? This is why we have to raise questions about the official narrative. What is going on? What is being pushed? What is the broader agenda here that is actually shutting nations down? Here in America, uh, uh, there is a, a headline that just came out. I mean, we know there's there's increasing uh, economic oppression. You can't get or keep your job unless you're willing to be vaccinated. Uh, there's government protocols that are all over the map. They keep changing the goalpost. What started out as two weeks to flatten the curve is now, if you don't do what we tell you, your livelihood is threatened. Economies are collapsing. Governments are going into massive debt. Well, what do you do when every nation in the earth is in massive debt? How do you restart that? How do you get out of that? You're setting the stage for a totally different kind of solution to appear and solution provider to appear. And then everyone just needs that answer. And there's no more defenses left. We've all become dependent on the the system to sustain us. 
There's a young lady here, uh, a, a high school volleyball player. She refuses to get the vaccine, so she is now forced to wear a um, an ankle bracelet, a like criminals wear an ankle bracelet, so that they can track all of her movements, supposedly for the safety of the school and the team. Well, you know, how many iterations of that? How many clicks away are we from that being a purely totalitarian system? What's the tipping point? Where's the point at which we say, okay, enough is enough. We can't go there anymore. Because again, Hitler was the same guy. It took six years and there were only three major policies that passed in Hitler that swept the Nazis into power, swept Hitler into power. Three, pol- three laws that were enacted and a six-year period. These are, these are troubling times, and, and we have to know how to respond. What good is salt and light if it's dark and has no flavor? So yeah. what do we do? Yeah, of yeah. course, there are people listening to this now who are in persecuted nations. There are in Iran, there are in Malaysia and places like that that I know for a fact will be listening to this. 100%. And in a way, they are our forerunners. They are the ones to whom we should be looking for. Now, I think in the West, we have always had the, oh, we're, the, the we're coming to... Um, we're leading the way. We're leading the way. The rest of the world looks to the West for how right. the Gospels lived think, out and all that. I think the church needs to wake up in the West and start looking East and receiving... Um, guidance, receiving words, receiving wisdom from them. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And in that sense, I'm not calling for political activism. I'm not saying that the church needs to become a, 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 a political force, although I think we have political responsibility. But it's really about how we position ourselves in humility and courage. If that means we lay our lives down, we lay our lives down. But we have to stand for something. And we have to actually engage in prayer, in deeds of justice, in deeds of rescue and compassion. Otherwise, we're just a a stick floating in a river being carried along the, the, the currents of history and change rather than you know, a a five-ton rock in the middle of the river forcing the current to adjust around it. I I agree 100%, Daphne. The the nations of the earth that have been experiencing persecution for uh, decades or generations have far more to tell us than we have to tell them. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us. We learn, we awaken to Scripture and the Spirit, and we start to become people to be reckoned with uh, uh, in how we conduct ourselves in the days ahead, we can't go back. History is not going back to what it was. It's a, it's a history, and, and we aren't meant to be victims of history. No. We're meant to shape history, I believe, through prayer and fasting and through laying our lives down for others. That's actually the point of the book. We'll get to that in a second. Mm. But, no, I was just but going it, to- Sorry, I was just going to bring that up. First of all, you said one thing, what are we meant to be doing? And I was just talking to somebody earlier today, and I said, I see Ezekiel 37 all lining up. Even you see it lining up. And then you say, so it's lining up prophetically. God is orchestrating the nations. And then I just said, so what do we do? And then I said, we care for people. 
in the right. midst of it. We care for people. I mean, I know the prayer, fasting, etc. But what, what what is our responsibility? We care for people in the middle of it. Um, so, okay, so let's get to this book. What? Yeah. So, so, long... so in that sense, Daphne, it's Sorry. not it's not that we adopt a new mission. We aren't no. looking for a new mission. No. It's a return to mission. It's yes. a return to our essential DNA. This is who we've been for 2,000 years or who we are supposed to be. Totally. And it's simply coming to grips with the fact that the world is no longer allowing us to lose our sense of mission. We have to be who we are or we have no function. And maybe yeah. we will even find who we are in the midst of it all. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So here we have, you're talking about reclaiming the word martyrdom, the concept of martyrdom. You're talking about all that's going in, on in the world. And then on your bookstall is this book, Long Hair Rising. Yeah. Take us on a journey from that. Well, sure. So it started with a dream. Um, uh, for those that are familiar with Lou Engle, Lou has been a uh, uh, such a voice for he, he released a little booklet 20 plus years ago called Nazarite DNA. Hmm. And it was really about recovering that spirit of the Nazarite that was a, in a sense, in Israel, it was the revival forces in Israel. When, when the priesthood fell into degeneracy or impurity, any young man or woman, it had remarkable features. You didn't have to be a Levite. It wasn't only for men. It wasn't only for the old. Any person, male or female, slave or free, young or old, could consecrate themselves, take a vow with three aspects to it. We all know that. Can't, can't cut your hair, uh, can't touch anything dead, and no uh, part uh, partaking of the fruit of the vine. And out of that, you would consecrate yourself to a mission for a period of time. And so there was, the call was largely a Nazarite uh, uh, renewal movement within the church. It was calling young people to a spirit of extraordinary consecration to set aside their teenage years in, in real devotion, to not mix and mingle with the world in a way that would contaminate them and take 10 years in the grace of God to recover who they were because they had forfeited so much of their identity and sexuality and morals to the ways of the world, but to be a Nazarite at heart. And so this was a, a, a real uh, uh, essential part of our entire movement, a consecration movement for young people. And then I had a dream a few years ago. In the dream, I was being interviewed by uh, a news outlet, and many other people were being interviewed as well. And the question everyone was being asked was, what is a Nazarite? And in the dream, I felt the great burden of the Lord to accurately define this because I was listening to everybody else and none of them were defining it accurately. Because if you go back to number six, you can be very legalistic. You can be like, well, okay, I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to drink Welch's grape juice. And, you know, you, you can, you can miss the point of a Nazarite heart as being an act of love and surrender to the Lord. And you can make it a checklist of things you're supposed to do to somehow be more holy. And, and in the dream, I was very concerned that it be defined accurately. And so I answered the person 
I said, well, uh, technically speaking, a Nazarite is someone who is so committed to the excellencies of heaven that they will do whatever is necessary to achieve the perfections of God on the earth. I said, but really, personally speaking, a Nazarite is simply someone who's willing to die for love. And I woke up with the simplicity of that, just like a kiss from the Lord on my heart, that a Nazarite is anyone who's willing to lay down their life, their agenda, in, in um, lifestyle or all the way to the ultimate sacrifice, their life itself to die for love. It is that heart of what a martyr is. It's Paul saying to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul suffered immensely at the hands of others. He said, when I think about this, I actually long to be with the Lord, but it's better for me to remain with you. But he settled that question. Who is ultimately worthy of my life? Is it the world or is it the Lord? And once that's settled, I'll give my life in service to the Lord in the earth to the fullest but I'll never back away from a difficult decision based on what it might cost me. Because once that's settled, I get to go be with the Lord. If that's what, if that's what the ultimate answer is, I get to go be with the Lord and it's only for the sake of others and the expansion of his kingdom that I remain. So a Nazarite is someone who dies for love. And, and this just, it was just a reminder for me. We're all on this journey of day by day, re-choosing what is of ultimate worth and ultimate value. And that's every day. Yeah. And we see this and hear stories of this. And you've probably heard some as well coming out of Afghanistan where, um, and, and to each person, it's a different decision, different circumstances. Some people, they need to get out for various reasons, but uh, you know, it's every now and again, uh, in the process of, of our involvement with, with trying to get people out, you'll hear from someone that says, actually, this couple, uh, they've decided that they should stay, that God gave them a command. He told them to go, and that's where they're meant to be. And so they're deciding to stay, even though they know that ultimately that could mean their execution. But in right. order for them to be faithful to what God, God told them to do, it meant that the opportunity of escape is here, but I have to be faithful. I have to forego right. my safety in order to be faithful to what God is asking us to do. And you could look at much of the West at the minute in England and America, and I, I saw a quote, I can't remember exactly how it went, but you have people in Afghanistan and persecuted countries foregoing their safety to be faithful. And they're in so many in the West they're foregoing their faithfulness to be safe. So, so well said. That's such a uh, such an indictment against the spirit of the age that has gripped us. Yeah. yeah. So well said. Yeah, it's um. We did. I did a kind of a survey. I mean, couldn't call it a survey. It was very amateurish. But I asked people over a number of years in persecuted nations, what was the de defining between those that stood and those that fell. And um, 
We have several answers to that because there isn't a definitive one, but one of the ones that came out that they've made their decision ahead of time. Mm. And that's what you're saying, really, about facing it, because they said if you have made your decision ahead of time, you're not deciding in the moment the decision is made. And so I think this topic of dying for love, of reclaiming martyrdom, all of that is a part of this making the decision ahead of time. I mean, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he, he meant what he said. The Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know, the, the what you're saying, Dean, is is I think well I know it is profoundly, profoundly um important and for people to hear. And I, I would just add a little twist to it, is that you've talked about long hairs long hair rising and we talk about this emerging generation and we talk about that and we challenge them to lay down their lives. But I will say from my point of view, this isn't about the emerging generation laying down their lives. It's like us. It's like Mordecai let, uh, laid down his life and therefore he could challenge Esther. And I so think, good. And we have to be that authentic. We cannot challenge the next generation if we are not leading the way. So I don't want anybody listening to think this is an emerging generation. This This is all of us you can't just go out there and tell the next generation to do it when you haven't laid the footprints out before them for them to follow in absolutely yeah yeah absolutely no 100 percent. it's uh that also is the power of the nations that are proving faithful martyrdom is the is the uh, the the seed of the martyr is the harvest field of the church. We know that. But the persecuted nations are, in a sense, that generation speaking to us, regardless of age, saying, we have laid it down. Will you lay it down also? Oh, wow. Now you're going to set me off. Wow. Yeah. I, I think, wow. I must, will you say that again, Dean? Will you just say that last well, bit again? I, I, I just think it goes to what you were saying, that the, the idea of tribulation is new to the West, but it's not in dozens of persecuted nations around the earth. And in that sense, regardless of age, they are the generation that has laid it down. And they are saying to us, will you lay it down? Mm. I, th- I think yeah. we have to finish on that note. But before we do, Dean, I'm just going to ask you to pray. Sure. Yeah. 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 God, who um, who is able to bear these things or understand these things? The thought that we enter the kingdom through pressure and suffering, that there are aspects of who you are that you did not spare your own son. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. There are, there are degrees of the high call of God in full conformity to the image of Christ, the maturity of sonship, that are not only about the authority we have over 
sickness and disease and miracles and taking up snakes and they won't harm us and casting out demons and all the victorious aspects of being filled with the spirit of God and manifesting dominion over creation and demons for the restoration of all things. There is that ultimate level of authority by which we actually, <laughs> we, we, we gain authority over death itself by being unafraid to give the full measure of devotion. And God, you are, you are doing something in the church in the West. You're doing something in North America. You're doing something in Europe. You're doing something, I believe, across all the nations of the British Empire. The Commonwealth, those nations that have benefited from democratic forms of government and have been some of the most influential in shaping history over the last several hundred years, we are behind in this. We've lost a measure of our soul in this. We look to our brothers and sisters in Africa in the Middle East, in Asia, that have said yes fully. They've made that decision completely. They are, in a sense, our older brothers, a generation that has gone before, that have said, we will not shrink back in the day of battle even to the point of laying down our lives. The king is worthy of his kingdom. And God, we bless them, we honor them, and we feel the call, the summons to imitate their example. We are the ones that receive the baton they are passing. And so, Holy Spirit, would you actually produce something in every nation, among every tribe and tongue, of a people worthy of the lamb that we could give him the reward of his suffering, even if it means our own. God, we want to be ones who lay down our lives for love. We want to reclaim that word. And I don't say it flippantly. I don't say it from the safety of my home without understanding what's coming to America, what's coming to the UK, what's coming to Europe and, and other nations. We want to push back against that darkness. We want to be bold with courage. We want to stand for truth and righteousness and justice in every way, in every legal way, in every, in every way that, that, that we can retain the essential freedoms we have enjoyed. We want to, but we do not give those freedoms permission to dilute our ultimate mission or to shape our personality and affections and devotion around the comfort of those things more than the sacrifice of our lives if necessary for the utter redemption of the earth and the emancipation of all humanity, the thing the earth itself is groaning for, to move into the glorious liberty of the sons of God, the sufferings of this present time not being worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. God, here again, with Daphne, with Andrew, with many others watching around the nations, we, we, uh, we take our crowns and we cast them at your feet. 
whatever our life and our ministries have been about, whatever our agendas have been about, whatever our physical well-being has been about, if it is not plumbed to your word, to your mission, if it's not fully in the service of the king and his kingdom, then it's not worth wearing. And if it is worth wearing, it's worth casting at your feet. We commit ourselves to you and you alone. Our king and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We bless you, God. These, these are sober things. Who can bear them? Who can, who can fully be prepared? And yet, we ask you, Holy Spirit, do a work in the church across the earth to prepare a bride fit for a king, the coming king, in Jesus' name. Oh, God, I just ask, I just ask for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and across the Middle East, rescue them, deliver them, preserve them. And for those that are beyond preservation of their life, receive them into glory with honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dean. Uh, we really appreciate it. You taking the time. May people hear this and be inspired, uh, challenged to the core to evaluate how they're living their lives uh, and ultimately be inspired by those that we see in Afghanistan, Iran, whichever country uh, you pick out there where they're suffering horrendously for their faith, may we be inspired to live lives uh, in honor of them, uh, in faithfulness to God uh, and his word and his commands for each of us. So, uh, thank you, Dean. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And may we be found faithful. Amen. Amen. I, 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 want, I want to say to you both, you inspire me. And I think the point of this conversation is the three of us together are saying, talk is cheap, words are cheap. What those believers are giving is our inspiration. Yes. yes. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.